Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. You're listening to Double G Radio. It's all the non-believers. How did that? It's all the non-believers. Anybody can be beat. Relax and enjoy our expert analysis of all pro teams in the concrete jungle. Can't wait. So just when you think the summer is going to be boring and we're done with basketball news, Kyrie Irving messes everything up for everybody. I'm Kyle L. Jason coming up soon. This is The Box Out. Your Thursday night basketball show starts right now. So we were done. I feel like I feel like basketball season was done. Free agency was over. Things are calming down. We have some special topics for the box out this rest of summer. And now this. Khalil, this is the box out here on WG Sports Radio. Along with me as always, Jason Cordner, who will be covering the Adrian Broner fight from Barclays this Saturday. Jay, what's going on? Nothing much, man. How you doing? You you ready for uh for some AB on Saturday? Oh, absolutely, man. Rona, he put on a little, nice little show at the press conference. You know, should be a good time this weekend. I, I tried very I tried very hard to kind of give him a second chance, but I I can't. I I haven't liked him for years. <laughs> he's a Floyd without hard. the he, he's a Floyd without the skill in terms of being a showman. Well, Without the skill, without the money, like pretty much everything that Floyd has, Adrian doesn't have. So it works out perfectly. <laughs> there you go. So, like I was saying, I thought we were done. I had some ideas for some show topics this summer, and I'm like, yeah, free agency's kind of over now, and things are kind of dying off. And apparently, we were off for a week. We come back. Kyrie Irving wants to trade. Kyrie Irving reportedly came out, came out in reports that were leaked that many believe that were leaked by his teammate LeBron James that he wants to be traded by the Cleveland Cavaliers he wants to be the number one option he wants to be the man on his own team and now it seems like there's this really big dilemma going on with Cleveland because Cleveland can't get in touch with Kyrie LeBron is kind of staying quiet with the exception of a tweet about Stephen A. Smith which I'll get into later my question to you Jason is this what the hell happened in the last two weeks <laughs> in the words of Kevin Durant, I love to see that a team is going in total chaos after the selecting they caught in the finals. It's it's insane because it, I didn't see it coming. Like I thought, like it, when LeBron came back to Cleveland, it was after 
Kyrie just signed that extension. So I feel like Kyrie had in his head, okay, this is my team. I think we're going to figure this out. We had some couple bad years, but things should be good. And then LeBron kind of rides in two weeks later and kind of threw Kyrie off this game, but Kyrie kind of rolled with it. But after thinking about it since it was kind of discussed last week, I kind of see his point. I feel like you, you, you're a little brother for so long, you want to go out on your own and be big brother to somebody else. It, it, that, that little brother role gets a little old. Well, you know, it's not just that. I just think that Kyrie is ahead of the curve. They're writing on the wall. LeBron's leaving. He's already been through several managers, several GMs. He knows the ownership is unstable in Cleveland. I just think he's trying to get ahead of all of that drama before LeBron makes his exodus out. Well, it's funny. Chauncey Billups in an interview this week also said that he knew that Kyrie was unhappy. He kind of he kind of went out and said, you know, Cleveland was doing a due diligence on me. I was doing my own due diligence at Cleveland and looking into your situation. And he knew when he interviewed for the for the GM job or the president's job at the Cleveland Cavaliers that he knew Kyrie was going to be it was unhappy and that this was probably going to come down the pike because of LeBron leaving, like you said. And Kyrie, you know, I, I feel like Kyrie Kyrie kind of deserves this a little bit to kind of have his own team, but. It's interesting now because one of the teams on Kyrie's trade list is, of course, the New York Knicks. And now this this brings up a whole another issue. The Knicks are trying to trade Carmelo. Cleveland was one of two teams that Carmelo said he'll be willing to waive the no trade. But now Carmelo's sticking to his guns and he wants to go to Houston. The problem with that is Houston doesn't really have the assets to give to the Knicks. That means a third and or a fourth team. The another issue is. Cleveland doesn't really have anything to give to the Knicks besides Irving. The Knicks really don't have assets to give back to Cleveland besides two first-round picks. Which has, this thing's a whole damn mess right now. Mellow part two all over again. It is. But so do you blame Mellow? Because Mellow wants to go to Houston. Mellow wants to play with Chris Paul even though he hates, you know, Mike D'Antoni. Do you blame Mellow for sticking to his guns? Do you think he's kind of like he needs to kind of loosen up a little bit and say, okay, listen. You want me out, I want out, just make the best trade possible. Yeah, I think he's going to have to listen up because if I was the GM of the Knicks, I'm not giving him up for for um, Anderson and another bad contract in Houston. No way. So I, I, need, I think Mello really needs to loosen up a little bit. Hey, we all been watching Power. We all seen Lala. I don't think he wants to hear that scrutiny all season long at the Garden. I think it's time. The relationship is over. We both we said both breaking point. It's time to move on, Melo. I, I don't know why he wouldn't want to go to Cleveland. That means, to me, that means be a better option for him. At least you know you're guaranteed the NBA Finals or at least the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I feel deep down that Melo like Cleveland with LeBron and Kyrie because in that situation, he's the third option. And it's not a lot of pressure on him. I think now if Kyrie leaves, he's number two. And that's a little added pressure on him. And I feel like he didn't want to encounter that pressure going to Cleveland. So I feel like part of me thinks Carmelo's kind of punking out because Carmelo knows it's not going to be as mm. easy as it would be with, Car- with Kyrie. So he doesn't want to go to Cleveland now because it's going to be him and LeBron, not him, LeBron, Harry. I like that. I like that assessment. Because I was thinking that he was probably wouldn't be so much the second option in Cleveland because I feel like Love will have a more – entered part now that, you know, he's been in the system long enough. And then 
it would be a combination of Melo and Rose and Jr. and them picking up the slack. But I, I like what you're saying. That actually makes a lot of sense. So I think Melo is kind of like, you know, the boy that cried wolf. He's like, yeah, get me out of here. Get me give me Houston. Yeah, I'll be the third option. I'll be great over there. I, I could hide in the shadows. But in Cleveland, that spotlight will be on them, and we, we already know how the Cavs are already. They're a dysfunction waiting to happen. So, yeah, maybe maybe it's that situation where you you go on vacation with your best friend, but then you actually spend extensive time with him, and then you see those bad habits. So, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, it's – well, it, we talked about this earlier this week, and I'm going to bring this up again. If you had to make this trade, Cleveland's like, we want to work with you in New York. We, we're only going to talk to you. Once out, we'll be willing to trade them to you guys. What would you give up if you're Scott Perry to Cleveland and say, this is our best offer. This is what we're going to do. I would give up the French point guard. I would give a mellow. Mm-hmm. I would offer a first-round pick unprotected, and that's it. So you wouldn't go and as I far think, as offering two first-rounders? No, because because I feel like Cleveland could it's, – it's all about LeBron. If I was the Knicks, I would try to like, hey, listen, do you, you guys need to, you know, instead of trying to rate us for all our talent and all our assets, you need to figure out what you're going to do about LeBron. Because if he leaves, you're in total rebuild. If he stays, you're going to be like the Boston Celtics, having all these assets and not knowing what to really do with them. So I'll play a little hardball about the Knicks, especially after what happened with Melo. We have to learn our lesson as an organization. Give up all <laughs> our assets just for one, one young, dynamic point guard, which, we, you know, New York had a lot of point guards throughout the days, the Marbury's, the Francis. I mean, yeah. You've seen this show before. My only issue is it's it's Kyrie's deal, and he's signed for another two years, and he has a player option for a third. So you're only guaranteed Kyrie for two years. There has to be some type of heir apparent to Kyrie. Will Frank, the French point guard, be that guy? I don't I don't know. I'm still not sold on him completely. I'm still pissed that we didn't get Malik Monk. It's been like two months. I'm still angry that we don't have Malik Monk on the roster, but. Mm-hmm. It's only having for two years that freaks me out because I feel like he's gonna jump. He's not gonna. He's gonna decline the player option. He's gonna leave after two years, and then that's where the Przingis conversation comes in because people are like, "Well, just give up Przingis. Just give, just give him up." It's like, no, we have Przingis for another two. He go he, and if we treat him right. He will resign. He will do the extension, and it's worth a lot of money to him if he stays with New York. So the conversation has been going on with Przingis for Irving. So Przingis and or one or two first-round draft picks for Irving, that conversation kind of stopped me cold. Like, you're willing to give up your future, the guy you want to build around, for a guy that you're only going to have for two years. Yeah, I would not do that. I mean, we do not need the hometown kid at that expense. Not at all. I wouldn't give up Porzingis. If, actually, I would try to build – if I'm the next, I'm building everything around Porzingis, and I'm doing my best to, like, assure him that he's the franchise, that – we plan to build everything around him because I think if they don't do that, they don't go up with that route of pleasing Porzingis, he's out of here in, a year, in two years. And then mm-hmm. what? You're back at the bottom. So I don't think the Knicks need to, you know, gamble like that. It's, it's going to be interesting. And going and going back to Houston, I feel like Houston, I feel like Daryl Morley has a plan in his head of how he wants to make this trade go down. 
but he can't make it go down because there's too many moving pieces. I was talking about this with someone at work. I'm like, it's the trade that he's seeing in his head. It includes like six teams, 24 players, some cash changing hands. It's just going to be this weird, convoluted trade that no one's going to understand. It's going to take the NBA weeks to go through. But Carmelo only like, – Carmelo's like, I want to play my friend uh, Chris Paul. And it's like, you have to – like, let it go, man. You, you're not going to Houston. You, you, that trade cannot happen because Houston really want Ryan Anderson's contract off the books, and they're really pushing on everyone, including the Knicks. Like, Carmelo needs yeah, to fall back one, a little bit and realize. Mm-hmm. There's only one team that would probably take that contract, and that's the Nets, and I don't even think they would do that right now. Oh no! We're gonna get into the Nets in a second because the move they move, the move they made, I'm convinced they're gonna they're gonna make some noise. But I, I, I'm uh, this whole situation is weird. Also, we were off last week, as you all know. The press conference to introduce Scott Perry as the new general manager of the Knicks, Steve Mills, the most useless person in basketball, and then Jeff Hornacek, probably the second most useless person in basketball. Did you get this feeling that midway through the press conference, you look at Scott Perry's face and he kind of regretted being there at that moment, not realizing what the hell I'd walk into right now? I, I, I think he's very optimistic. He had that Obama 08 face where, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I inherited all this mess and I'm going to try to do my best to clean it up. You know, I, I, he had that approach to it. But what I found interesting, the most interesting about all that, he hasn't met James Dolan yet. Yeah. Which tells me one of two things. Either Dolan's really saying, okay, listen, Steve, this is your, this is your show. I'm literally going to back, I'm, I'm backing up. Do you? Or maybe Dolan didn't want Perry. Maybe Dolan wanted his boy Isaiah and Steve and a few other people with the organization was probably like, listen, Jimmy, that's kind of a bad look. So I'm thinking that's one of two things going on in that situation. That makes a lot of sense. Because I, 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 like, that makes a lot of sense, and I feel like James is he's just loyal to a fault, and he would probably have gone around that route, but you know they had to remind him that would be an awful, awful, apocalyptic PR nightmare. So you could be right about that. But I think I think he's doing what he said he was doing with Phil. He's like, he's backing off. He's letting the management he put in place run the show. So once again, we have to applaud Dolan for not really meddling with anything. Yeah. uh, It's like two steps forward and like eight steps back with this team. Because you find like, Steve Mills is not the GM anymore. Okay, he's president. Damn. Okay, cool. All right, cool. We're going to get David Griffin. No, okay, we can't do that. Can't get David Griffin. Cool. Who the hell is Scott Perry? Where the hell he come from? I feel like we, you're thinking a good a good thing for a second, a good thought, and then it just kind of falls back on you again. Like what what the hell? I don't know, but like like I said, a lot a lot of folks have been saying you know been praising him, and this is his first you know attempt at being GM. So we'll see what happens. And all the stuff with Kyrie is starting to make you wonder like how much. Did uh, David Griffin know about that? Like how much of an influence or how much involvement he had with that whole situation? So a lot of things starting to unravel in Cleveland. So maybe, maybe it was a good non-hire. And it kind of makes sense why David Griffin probably wanted a little bit more power in the organization because he's like, the the apocalypse is going to happen next year. This team is getting blown up. LeBron's coming back. 
you I need the new work. I need the, the autonomy to build this thing back up again. And Gilbert was just wasn't hearing it. But David Griffin knew. I think you're right. I think he knew what was coming down. And he that's why he asked for a raise. That's why he asked for money saying and more responsibility because he, he knew what was coming up. He knew what was going to happen next year. So I feel it, it, this whole thing is a mess. I feel, and LeBron, I don't know about you, but for the, the denials and LeBron looking, he's looking really bad right now. Oh yeah, because he, he he he's really not stating the obvious that like he's not coming back next year. He's doing this whole hands off approach, but you know he's the captain of the ship, and he needs to get his hands dirty and try to get some of the water out that ship. But he's just not doing it, and it kind of makes you, it, it makes me personally want to side with Kyrie because I think Kyrie is just playing this. He's playing it smart. He's playing it how I would say Westbrook kind of played it, but he's doing it in a way like, hey, you know what? I didn't want because you got to remember too when when Kyrie got drafted, I believe it was like the second or third year in, he wanted out of Cleveland. Then all of a sudden LeBron came, mm-hmm. and then things got a little quiet for a while. They won their championship, then they lost their team and lost this year. But you you just see that you know players that's on the roster are not really suited for Kyrie's style of play, and that was going to be a problem, especially if LeBron leaves. So he's going to be stuck with all these old guys that can't run up and down the court with Kyrie. So. I, I applaud him for staying on top of it. But the one thing I'm worried about that I hope the Knicks don't do is I don't know if you peeped it yesterday when Gilbert said, hey, Indiana could have got a lot more from Paul George. That was a big indication in my head that, hey, he has no problem parting ways with Irving, but he's going to demand the King's ransom for him. And I think that's the problem. I think Cleveland, and they had a, a uh, press conference yesterday introduce uh, Cody Altman, their new general manager who I didn't know I listened to the uh, the right time with Bomani Jones from last night and he made a good point that I kind of didn't think about as I was getting ready for work this morning I didn't know that the new GM was black with the first name the first name threw me off like like it was in Co- Kobe or Cody one of those two Altman I'm like oh that's a white guy he, he's, a, he's a he's a black dude I was like wow okay that's, that's another brother in power that's always good that's always good we need we need more, but they 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 want a king's ransom for Irving and they're not going to get it. But if the Knicks or San Antonio, Dallas has been mentioned as like a dark horse, even though that's not on one of his list. If they wait Cleveland out enough, and you, look, you saw Dan Gilbert's face yesterday, he he looked tight yesterday. He looked pissed. He looked upset. If you wait Cleveland out long enough, that king's ransom is going to dip down a little bit. And they're gonna be like, okay, oh, yeah. what offer what can you give us that's good for us? Wait until late August, early September for training camp. That's when Cleveland make that deal. So my advice to the Knicks or any other team that wants Kyrie Irving is probably just wait, wait Dan Gilbert out. And it's eventually he, he's gonna get pissy enough where he's gonna take anything he wants. Yeah, pretty much. So it just makes you wonder it just makes you wonder too about Cleveland. They struggled the regular season last year. I mean, they literally slept walk to the playoffs and then kind of turned it on a little bit. What do you think is going to happen this season with all this turmoil? These guys got to go to training camp. I think it's going to be, I, I don't, I see 50 wins. I'm not going over 50. I think they will somehow manage to get 50 wins, but that's it. I don't think they're going to get the number one seed in, in the East and they might drop to third seed in the East. 
I mean, and you look at you, you can't have them together at training camp. You you can't bring those can't. two together. So yeah, because uh, reports have Kyrie not answering the phone calls to Dan Gilbert and Cleveland people. LeBron's not talking to him. Kyrie's not talking to LeBron. Now Love is Love is going to take the side of Cleveland because he's there and. So now you have sides. So you go to training camp. Kyrie shows up. Now you have you have you have factions. You have NWO black and white, NWO red and red and black, and one on one side. You have this whole big thing going on. You can't let that happen. Oh, oh well, one more thing. Shout out to Kevin Love for his little tweet that had me rolling when he was kick, like everything kick was all Cleveland. Kick rocks. Mine. This is the same guy that that, that was notoriously thrown under the bus. Always in trade room with the last two years, and he's the first one to be like, "Everything's good, everything's fine in Cleveland." Wow, that was very healish. I loved it. Yeah, but also I take that with a great assault because you're talking a lot of junk because you know you you Cleveland, but you had a really crappy playoffs for exception of like three games, so you shouldn't talk very much, <laughs> Kevin Love. You should kind of keep it quiet right now and, and watch what happens. Uh, we're gonna move to the Nets and. Uh, last summer, they put an offer sheet out to Alan Crabb of Portland. Portland matched it. He went back to Portland. And this week, Portland traded him to the Nets. So the Nets end up getting a guy a year later anyway. So they get Alan Crabb from Portland. Uh, Portland's in salary dump mode. They're way over the salary capital and they're into luxury tax territory. But now the Nets have a shooter. So they got, you know, they got a point guard, they got a center to replace Brooke Lopez. They got some good parts. I think Jared Allen from Texas, the draft picks going to be a good guy coming off the bench. Now you get a starting shooting guard who can shoot. I don't know, and I don't know if you agree with me, but I think this move solidified the fact that I think the Nets could get an eight seed in the East now. Totally agree. I told you, the band of misfits, they're going to have that approach. I trust in the process in the Nets. The management has it in place, and I think I think these guys are really going to ball. I think they're going to play hard, as we saw evidence of that last year. Now with these new additions, they're going to fall right in line because they're all going to have something to prove. So I really have high hopes in the Nets. Screw you, Boston. You will not get a top pick, top five picks in the Nets this season. <laughs> well, and, and we talked about it a lot this season. We talked about it a little this offseason, how there's a plan. And we all talk about the plan. Trust the, trust the process. That's what Philly always said. Yep. Talk about teams having plans. The Knicks never having a plan with Phil Jackson. Brooklyn has a plan. It seems like everything's kind of falling into place where they're taking on this salary. And they're like, we're going to be bad. We're not going to get young. Let's just kind of load up on guys with bad salaries, hit that, that salary cap floor and see what happens. But I think by mistake, they kind of put together a decent team now. I agree. Totally agree. So it's D'Angelo Russell, Alan Crabb, Moscow at the, at the Moscow at the center, power forward, Mm. Jared Allen could be starting actually. I think sh- starting sh- mm, small forward, this a combination of three guys are probably going to shift in and out. But I will put, and you sent me, a buddy of mine sent me the lineup for the Knicks, has is right now constructed. And I compare what he sent me to what the Nets could put on the floor. The Nets could beat the Knicks every night of the week with the lineup that I foresee the Nets having compared to the lineup that the Knicks would have. And it's it's scary. <laughs> I told you Russell's gonna be Russell's gonna make it all star team this year. I have high hopes on I have high hopes on that kid this year. I, I see that. You really you really do. 
listen, when, when a living legend disses you and sends you to basketball purgatory, which is called Brooklyn, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder. You're going you're gonna to play hard. I, I have high hopes for this guy. He's going to want to be the face of New York. So watch out for Zingas. I think Russell's coming for that. That's you just call Brooklyn basketball purgatory. I'm not sure net fans are gonna like that very much. <laughs> hey, I mean, yes, they made it to the finals twice since the millennium turned, but does anybody really remember that? Actually, they showed NBA TV showed I think the clinching game of the San Antonio Nets final series from. Was it oh one or oh two? So they had that on the TV not too long ago, so that helps. <laughs> it made, made me remember. Made me remember because I sure as hell forgot. <laughs> so also other news, and it happened literally right before we went on air tonight. JaVale McGee re-signed with Golden State, one-year contract. So now there's a couple of different storylines with Golden State now. One, McGee gets the league the veterans minimum. Two they have 15 guaranteed contracts on the roster. Three, they're 32, I'm sorry, they're paying, they're going to pay $32 million in salary and the luxury tax on 15 guaranteed contracts, which is another point what I want to bring up. And there was an article on ESPN this morning where they talked about last summer and how the salary cap jumped so much. All these teams had this extra money lying around and they just went and spent it all. Now, the salary cap didn't jump this year as high as much as they thought it would. And now they're saying it will jump next year, but it might jump up only a million. So everything's kind of starting to balance out. A couple of agents are screaming that last year's free agent group, uh, Timothy Moskov, uh, Mike Connolly, uh, 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 Evan Turner, who got these crazy contracts, they kind of messed it up for everybody. Do you think now that everything's kind of evening out salary cap-wise that the NBA kind of started something that they can't they that they can't keep up with. They start these big salaries in the supermax, and at some point, a lot of these teams, like a Milwaukee or a Memphis or even uh, OKC, may just disappear. Oh, it looks like we oh we lost Jason. Jason should be back really shortly. He's having a little bit of phone trouble, so we lost Jason. But uh, as I was saying, the, there's an issue with the NBA now, and this is the issue. There's too much money being thrown around. There's, I would say, five to six teams in the NBA right now that can afford to pay what these players are making, and that's it. So you're going to see teams like a Memphis, like an OKC, you go Sacramento, even though they got a new arena. They're going to struggle to keep up with guys, with teams like that. Jason, you back? Yeah, I'm back. I hit the wrong button. <laughs> Sorry about so, that. Now it's cool. So, so I was saying that the NBA kind of starts something and take the genie out the bottle with all these mega salaries and the, the cap's really not going to move anymore. And now these small market teams are going to lose guys like the Greek Freak. And you're starting to see in Memphis, that team's starting to get broken up. Did the NBA kind of start something that they really can't sustain long term? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? I, I mean, at some point, the players union is going to have to step involved and be like, hey, listen, you guys are turning down money from not staying these small market teams and getting that super max deal. Like, yeah, you know, so I feel like 
that to me is the bigger problem that's going to go forward in the NBA. Guys just don't want to stay where they were drafted, and especially in Eastern Conference, because the Eastern Conference looks like a wasteland right now. So for a couple mm-hmm. of sparks here, a couple of sparks here, but like you said, if the Greek freak leaves, which everybody believes in Milwaukee, I mean, Kareem did. Who's to say the Greek freak won't do it either? Mm-hmm. That's a problem. That's a problem. I, I feel like, you know, not saying you have to stay with the small market team, but I feel like small market teams at the same time need to really try to compete. You know, we see how Indiana done this for quite some time, and I was really disappointed on how Bloy Paul George left because I felt like Indiana did right by him. But they were a contender. He broke his leg, and then that's when the wheels started falling off and guys got old and they had to, you know, try to rebuild on the fly. So I think the league, that's a problem that the league can have down the line. And you kind of see where Adam Silver stepped in and kind of, you know, talking a little bit about the Cavs situation. Because if you think about it, the Cavs are a small market team. They end up throwing a minute. It's just they have LeBron, and LeBron's just an economic, you know, genie right there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the issues too, and I, we talked about when Richard Sherman said that the NFL players should be willing to strike to try to get NBA money. And I think, and you, I looked at that again, the NFL has a, they have a salary structure, but they don't talk about it. In the NFL, you have quarterbacks. You have quarterbacks who get the most money. Then you have wide receivers who make, make the most money. And then you might have an occasional receiver, uh, the occasional running back make his early money before he turns 30 years old. An occasional corner like Rebus make his money real fast. But for the most part, quarterbacks and receivers make the most money. You know, that's, that's where the money's going, to those two positions. And you might sprinkle in one more big contract with someone else, a DN occasionally. Yeah. I think in the NBA, and yes, it is less players. We're not talking about 53 players on the NBA roster. But there needs to be some, there needs to be some type of uh, a structure. And 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 this is the the, and the players union would never go for this, but they have to realize. Listen, LeBron is here. LeBron's at the top. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sorry, Mike Connolly, you're not at LeBron's level, so you're not making that money. Okay, uh, James Harden's here. Brian Anderson, you're down here. You're not cu- you're not touching that. You're not getting past X amount of dollars. You know, Giannis Giannis is up here. Chris Middleton, you're nowhere near his level. So why are you even asking for ten million a year? I feel like it needs to be some, some. And I mean, this is where a little bit of conspiracy and a little bit of collusion comes in with owners. And the owners need to get together and say, "Listen, we got to help each other out. We can't pay everybody twenty million a year. Some guys are gonna screw it, but it is what it is. I don't know if that's that's the right. I don't know if I should be promoting collusion, but I thought <laughs> promote it. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just to keep it fair, just to keep it because yeah. I look at teams like a Sacramento, a Milwaukee, a Memphis. Uh, hell, I'll go San Antonio. San Antonio's a smaller market. It's not a Houston or a Dallas. You want to keep the you want to keep the competitive balance. You want to keep the field level. And I feel like a Houston's going to blow teams out the water with the money, especially the Texas teams because Texas and Florida there's no, there's no state income tax, so you're automatically mm-hmm. ahead of the game because you don't have to pay tax down there. Yep. So uh, it, it's just a thought. It's just, it's just I just feel like there's way too much money being thrown around, and everybody's getting some, and not everybody should be getting a piece of the pie at this point. Hey, I mean, the only thing I can say about that is I think that NFL players need to more focus, worry about a guaranteed contract, and don't worry too much about the NBA because the NBA problems are gonna 
present themselves very shortly in the next collective bargaining. Well, yeah. And I mean, and we have another like five or six years before the next CBA and NBA. And that that's going to be weird because I feel like once those salaries and the salary cap really evens out and teams like, okay, you have, you have $90 million to spend and that's it. And then these repeat offenders of the luxury tax, when they hit it three, four times and they're paying quadruple what they paid the first time, all hell's going to break loose. And that 50, 50 split that they want so badly, it's going to, that's going to be a huge point of contention in uh in the negotiations so we're gonna stay in the news all summer if anything breaks we'll be here on thursdays once again remember we're going every other week until the start of training camp hopefully we'll see a resolution with Kyrie in cleveland by training camp probably no promises but um <laughs> something that i wanted to do over the summer is to kind of bring in different topics so one thing we talked about was movies and different basketball movies so we talk about a couple in the summer. We're also going to maybe redraft a few drafts here and there, and you know, based on how some careers went. But we're going to start with movies tonight for the last half of the show. And one of my favorite movies growing up was a movie called Above the Rim, uh, starring Tupac Shakur, Dwayne Martin, Marlon Wayans was in it. Uh, it, it, it was it was a great movie. So think think he got game eight nine years before. This is what Above the Rim really was. So I don't yep. know what were your thoughts about Above the Rim? Like, do, do you, have you watched it in a while? Is, 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 when it's on, do you just turn it on? Like, I haven't watched Above the Rim now. Well, I, I have a very close connection to Above the Rim. I, I didn't mention it earlier, but I'll mention it now. I went. Well, I grew up in Brooklyn. I went to Nazareth, mm-hmm. which is in the middle of Flatbush, whatnot. Nazareth was about two blocks away from where Above the Rim was being filmed. During that time, I was there. Really? That was at Tilton High, yeah, Tilton High School. So I got to see a lot of the, a lot of them through the show in the movie. Got to see a lot of pre-production stuff. Got to see Tupac. The only time I ever saw Tupac was when he was filming that movie. So I can at least say I seen Tupac big. Nah, I seen all the older legends in person or at a concert. But it was a, it was a great basketball movie. Like you said, it was right up before he got game. So it was like the the real standard of urban basketball, you know, pop culture kind of thing. And it was a really good game. And Dwayne Martin actually can really ball. Like, a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. there's no, no legit. He's a really good basketball player. Well, and the thing I remember most from the movie, because there was another movie that came out right, not right after, a couple of years, called Sunset Park, which is very similar. So the focus wasn't just on one player in Sunset Park. It was on his whole team. That was coached by the woman from Cheers, the curly hair, uh, Rhea Perlman, the the waitress from Cheers. So right. that made me think, like, hey, they're trying to rip off above the rim because it's a very similar storyline where she's trying to keep the kids in line and they're going off and kind of veering off into different paths. But what was funny to me was Marlon, Marlon Wayans, and he's been in a lot of movies, like Wrecking for a Dream and all the, the, the scary movies, stuff like that. I think this is the best thing he's ever done. Cause I feel like he brought comic relief, but oh, wow. those parts where he had to get serious, and then those parts where he comic relief, and then he ended up killing Tupac at the end. Oh damn! I'm that es- escalated really quickly. <laughs> Not thinking about you, absolutely right. That might be his best work, and that was one of his early works too. So right about that. Yeah, it was it was crazy because he's it was the, the whole emotional roller coaster because he was he was the goofy friend. And then he tried to get in the street, right. get in the street with Birdie and Tupac, and 
that didn't work out because Birdie saw him like a clown too, and he tried to get hard and it didn't work. But he wanted to play basketball, but he's not good at basketball. The scene with the powder and the mouthpiece that was like, what the? Okay, it was just it was crazy to see him do that. And then you know, obviously, he, all of his roles are pretty much goofy because he's a comedic actor. But that was one of those things where like, you saw some range from him that you really never saw from any of the Wayne's brothers, especially like Keenan Ivory was big at that point, but he was always the funny guy. Like you didn't know what right. the Wayne's could actually act. Yeah, and what I really liked about the movie, though, it pretty much symbolized back that, that era where it's like, yeah, you know, you have problems at home or you just go to the court. Every, the basketball play, the playground, the court, that's where your sanctuary was. And to see that being portrayed in the movie at that time was like one of the was groundbreaking, if you really think about it, because he wasn't seeing that anywhere else. So a lot of my friends don't know the answer to this question, but I want to see if you know it. There was a scene where he was playing a game where Dwayne Martin flips out, the T-Jack thing is thrown out, going crazy. There was a scout watching the game, a Georgetown scout watching him that game. Who was the Georgetown scout in that in that scene when he flipped out? Who was that guy? I want, I want to say it was, coach, it was the coach, no? No, no, no. No, no, no. They had, they had somebody else come in. John Thompson at the end that, like when he hit that last shot. Okay. But there was a Georgetown scout that was there watching him. Who was that scout? Oh man, I'm definitely stuck on that one. He had, he had like a little Jerry curl. It was really it was crazy. It was Pee Wee Kirkland, New York playground legend, was in that scene. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Which I didn't realize. I didn't realize. So years later, I saw the movie. I'm like that, like Pee Wee Kirkland. Oh, that's Pee Wee Kirkland. <laughs> so, so they even got a piece of New York streetball history in the movie too, like you said. To represent you now that that transition from street ball to high school and organized ball, they yeah. get a street legend like Pee Wee Kirkland to come in and have like a quick like two minute cameo in a movie, which was unheard of. And that you probably still don't see that happen in a lot of basketball films going forward. You didn't get a lot of legends and you know above the rim. I mean, he got game and things like that. Yeah. Well, it, it, so if you had the if you had to choose, I was about this all day today. If you had to choose between he got game or above the rim, which one would you watch yeah, first? Okay. So say you have two movies, you're like, you know, I'm gonna watch one of these movies right now. Would you pick? Because I, I I'm leaning towards above the rim. He got game was good, but he above the rim is something to above the rim that I just thought think is better than he got game. You know what? I normally would say he got above the rim, but because of the current climax and temperature of everything, you got you gotta go with he, you gotta go with he got game. Especially what happened with Louisville. Especially everything with Calvin. You have to go. You know, if you really want to know what it's like trying to recruit players, you're gonna have to say he got he got game. So actually, I forgot. I'm looking it up right now. I forgot there was somebody else in the movie too. That I totally forgot was in the movie. Bernie Mac was in the movie too. He was the he was the homeless guy. Yes, yes, yes. I, I forgot he was yes, in the movie. Homeless, yeah. And and, and Tupac killed him in the movie. Cameo. Yeah, yep. And Tupac killed cameo. him. <laughs> I'm like, that's once again, that's Bernie Mac. Oh my God, Bernie Mac played the homeless guy. Okay, I got it now. <laughs> <laughs> Good times, so, so, good times. I gotta watch that movie again. No, 
I know. I haven't. I've watched in a while. I still have everything in my head. Like the first scene of the movie is when, uh, when Shepard comes before Shepard. Shepard left the area because his friend Nutso, you know, which this is, it was a weird scene because it was like a basketball court in like a warehouse near a window, and they oh. were trying to see how, how how high they could jump to hit the backboard. And Nutso missed the backboard and fell through the window of the warehouse, which I'm like, what the hell was a basketball court up in a warehouse in the first place? That always threw right. me off. Like that that just looked dangerous. Like you shouldn't probably you shouldn't be in there. Right, totally. Yep. And then he left, came back, and then he wants to he gets decreed to help Dwayne Martin's character with the jump shot. And I'm wondering too, do you think John Thompson got paid for not just him? But for Georgetown to be in that movie, because he wanted to go to Georgetown, he wanted to go to Georgetown at the end of the movie. You think John Thompson got paid? Absolutely, absolutely. Because <laughs> you got to remember, at that time, Georgetown was, you know, it was in the in the peak, in that peak run, and that was like right before Iverson. I'm pretty sure that movie had a lot to influence Iverson to go there. I, you you think so? I think you think about it. I can see I can see Iverson sitting there like weighing his options. And then throwing in that movie and thinking about, yeah, I could probably go to Georgetown. <laughs> but one, if I don't, I don't want to go Villanova. I don't want to stay. Don't, don't want to go Temple. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? So there was, and you said it before, and I, I there's a complaint about this movie that I don't understand. That the movie wasn't realistic enough that it kind of went off a little bit and it got really dramatic. And then, you know, Bertie Tupac's character killing Bernie Mac's character and the shooting at the end and that it got, it, they way too crazy at the end and it wasn't realistic. Do you think it was realistic or do I mean, obviously it's a movie. It, you have to add dramatic pause and things in movies, but do you think for the most part, it stayed true to what it represented, what it was about? Absolutely. I thought it stayed true to what it represented, and it showed you a darker side. And, hey, I mean, just because we don't hear stories about bad, you know, bad games at the playground, but at that time, you, those things were subject to happen if things went escalated too far. So I thought it was, it was a great portrayal of, at that time, the current climax of just how, you know, just how pop culture and this urban basketball was. I mean, yeah, it's a movie they have to go, they got to go with the extra mile of being dramatic, but... Again, a lot of those things could transpair. You know, I'm a Tupac shooting the homeless guy. It's you know back then it was a lot of hotheads. It was a drug, you know, the drug game. A lot of dope boys in the streets. So, yeah, I would say it was a fair, good portrayal of what could have happened. Also, this also does the movie is realistic. You're right. There's one unrealistic part. So I'm pretty sure when Dwayne Martin lost it and flipped out at that game, that. Pee Wee Kirkland was at and scouting for Georgetown. After all that, and you're a scout, let's say Jason Corden, you're a scout for, let's say, uh, Syracuse. You go see a guy at Lincoln High School. You want to see him, you make sure he's good, and he has a flip out like he cursing out the refs, cursing out security, throwing chairs, pushing guys. Would you would you make the suggestion to still sign that player, or would you say we can't we can't bring him in here? I'm going to go the route of the whole Belichick, and I'm going to say, hey, maybe it's the circumstance and the, where he's at, and maybe if he gets out of that environment, 
maybe I could help him. So I would probably go and still try to sign him. So you, so you go the route, like, we bring him here, we can train, not train, I don't use the word train, but we bring him here and we can get him right and make sure that that doesn't happen again. Absolutely, because I'm, I'm thinking about, like, let's say, what's it, Aaron Hernandez. The only, situ- the only difference between that situation and this one we're talking about is that he was still in the Massachusetts area, per se. Now, if I'm bringing him to Syracuse, he's not going to get in any trouble from, from Brooklyn to Syracuse. Yeah, that's a good distance. He'll be all right. Interesting. So, finally, last question with this, with the above the rim. Where would you rank above the rim in all-time basketball movies? Where would you put it? Because we all have our, our favorite basketball movies. Where would you put this on your list for basketball movies? I'm going to go with it's, – it's, it's number three. It's number, number three. three. He got he, – yeah, he got game is number one. Number two is love mm-hmm. basketball. I mean, that's a beautiful love story. Circle around basketball. Number See, yeah, number uh, three would be above the rim, and four would be huge. Four would be huge. Yeah, see, I would. I probably would bump love and basketball out for Hoosiers. Hoosiers. See, I'm, see, I'm. I'm. I'm going to talk about this movie in the coming weeks. I haven't told you yet, but I'll tell you now. I'm going to talk about this movie in like a couple weeks. <laughs> but I, I, I need okay. to watch it again. Blue, I put blue chips in my top five because I love me blue chips. Oh, see, it's a toss up between blue chips and white men can't jump for me. But yeah, that's a toss up mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, because blue, because blue chips show that 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 dark, dirty side of college sport. We we talk about it, and I'm like, this is kind of realistic because a lot like, a lot of coaches, a lot of boosters when that movie came out, they were looking the other way, like, oh shit, mm, okay, that's true, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> So I, that's mm-hmm. we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks though. But yeah, see, loving basketball, loving basketball was way like I like the basketball, but it, it's got too it was way too much love and not enough basketball. Yeah, and to think about it, like what I really liked about Blue Chip is that it Shaq even talked about it. That's what was his first time being around Penny, and he was like, "Hey, you guys have to draft this guy. You have to get this guy over here in Orlando." That is, that, that is true. That was that was in that uh that was in the Magic. 30 for 30, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I remember, I remember that. That's interesting. So we're going to talk about blue chips in a couple of weeks. So okay. our last story tonight is going to be the Ball family. So okay. there was a basketball game with LeVar Ball's son. I believe his name is LaMelo. And mm-hmm. another uh, amazing high school player, uh, Zion, Zion Williamson, in Vegas last night. And apparently, they shut stuff down. There was police barricades. They almost shut the game down because of fire code violations. LeBron couldn't get in. Dame Lillard was there watching. LeVar Ball talking trash. Bomani Jones said LeVar Ball is good for basketball. I don't know. I don't know if this is good for anybody. I'll be honest. I'm not sure... If the Ball family going on Monday Night Raw, this whole big rock star thing got going. LeVar Ball pulled that team, that AAU team, off the court because he didn't like a call. I'm still under the impression that LeVar Ball is bad for his family and bad for them boys. And I don't know what you think. What do you think? He's a PR nightmare for his family. However, his kids can ball. So that's the saving grace. And he's putting that a spotlight on them. 
So all we, listen, all we need is the oldest son to be rookie of the year, get the next son down in the NBA as soon as possible, and when this and this one the youngest one goes to UCLA in about what two years, and he balls out. Mm-hmm. We're gonna look back. We're gonna look back at Alonzo and be like, maybe he was a you know a star-studded father who just pushed his kids to greatness. That's how I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at it like he wants. He's just trying to navigate his kids to greatness. Yeah, you know what? It, I I agree with you, but I. I don't fully agree with you. I feel like he's putting a spotlight on his kids, but I feel like he is either inadvertently or on purpose shining a lot of that spotlight on himself too. I feel like it's okay to shine a spotlight on yourself. You kind of try to take some pressure off your kids. Like just put it on me. I'll, I'll be the mouthpiece. Let them play. I'll be talking. I feel like he wants to be the center of attention. I feel like people are trying to look at him and pay attention to him more than the kids and not has in a way to take pressure off of him, but has in a way like, look at me, I'm a our ball. I raise these boys. What they do, I taught them on this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That, that's the part that's a little, you know, that that's, could be damaging. But, you know, as long as they produce on the court, he's, he's, looking, like, he's looking like a marketing genius right now. Yeah, and I mean, definitely, Le- Le- LeBar played his butt off in Vegas in some league. LaMelo looks good. The, the summer for the ball family has been really good. I mean, you you, you take away that, that Monday that Monday night raw appearance where Lamelo kind of let an N word slip live on live on TV. Take that away. They had a good summer, <laughs> but but you know what? Even it, look, even that was pretty cool because it was his first appearance in the Staples Center. So they he kind of like made sure he beat the Lakers to that. Like, hey, you don't gotta wait till preseason. Come to Monday night raw. He'll you get your first look at the new face of the franchise. That was kind of smart. Of course, you know, it didn't go according to plan, but it was kind of ambitious. Yeah, but my issue with that was, I remember that night watching it, and I was watching my roommate, and see, and the, the crowd in L.A., those Laker fans weren't the ones in Vegas cheering on, uh, on Lonzo and chant MVP. Those people didn't go to Vegas for Summer League. He didn't get a great reaction when he came out, Lonzo. He didn't get this crazy, he didn't get this, this road warrior pop, talk wrestling now, that these wrestlers get. Like, oh my God, he didn't get that. He got kind of like this, this kind of subdued pop because I feel like that crowd was like, okay, yeah, we, we want to see Lonzo, but LeVar talking too much. We're not, we didn't come here to see you. We came here to see him. And I think that's, I think, I think that's what's happening. I feel like the fans are something like, we know Lonzo could ball. But just shut the hell up. <laughs> we know. We yeah, got it. We, we get it. Your son is good. We get it. We see it. We agree. But you don't have to talk so much. <laughs> he's uh, he's just, you know, he's just the extreme version of uh, Venus and Serena's pop thing. Yeah, that's all he is. Oh, my God. No, he he's Richard Williams times a thousand. Richard Williams said some crazy stuff early in the, in the sister's careers. But, but not like this. What? Yeah, what LeBar Ball is saying can't touch Richard Williams can't touch what he said. I I don't think there's another uh, parent who's been like this in sports. I can't think of like Richard Williams was kind of like that, but he kind of toned it off. He kind of turned it off after a couple of years. I can't think of another parent in sports that has been like this with their kid. Like it's, and then he's wearing like then he's still thinking he can get a, a, 
a billion or two for big baller brand, even though nobody's buying a shoe. And it, it's it's too it's too much. It's way too much to deal with that man. I can't I can't do it no more. I'm, tr- I'm trying to be patient with them. I'm trying to be patient with them. I, I just hope one of his kids lands in a New York uniform in the foreseeable uh, future. I don't know why. Imagine that. Why want, uh, imagine that. Imagine that uh, one in LA, one in New York, and then another one gets uh, to, to Texas. Oh, God. I'm sure he's They're, thinking of this. He wants, he wants global or he wants regional domination. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's thinking about that. No, see, he wants he wants what Dame Dash wanted in state property too. He wants worldwide domination. He wants world. He, he, he's on his he's on his, he's on his grizzly right now. He's on his grizzly. He wants worldwide domination right now. Speaking of state property, you know we we there needs to be a thirty for thirty about Rucker basketball because those terrible oh, bad boy teams. That's a whole nother top <laughs> topic for a whole nother show. Oh my god! I was tempted to write an article about Rutgers basketball because they just had. Uh, Big Ten Media Day for football this week, and Rutgers was there, and they're predicted to go finish in last place again because you know they're terrible. And I was tempted to write about Rutgers basketball this week to kind of throw everything off because I really haven't heard much about Rutgers recruiting wise basketball, and I'm like, they they really do stink. Like football football sucks, but Rutgers basketball really sucks. It's gonna be it's, it's gonna be a while before either program turns around. And then the NCA released a lot of the the, 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 the NIT tip-off tournament brackets and um, a lot of these holiday tournaments is going to happen in Barclays and Garden. And you're seeing like Seton Hall. You're seeing Monmouth. St. Peter's is the one. I'm, I'm currently in Jersey City, and I actually go to St. Peter's for grad school. St. Peter's won one of their – they won one of those little side tournaments in the postseason, CIT. They're in this preseason tournament. So you have – Seen Hall, who who's always been the number one school in Jersey, essentially. Mammoth, who's kind of making right. a push to kind of get on a level. Seen Hall, St. Peter's, who is no one knows who St. Peter's really is, and then Rutgers is nowhere to be found basketball wise. And it's like, okay, you're being surpassed by St. Peter's and like schools like Quinnipiac. If you're going the whole tri-state area, St. John's is going to be really good this year. So. It's crazy that Rutgers can't seem to get anything together down there in either sport. Which is insane because you figure they have more of you know, assets to gather talent, but they just they just not doing it. Yeah, well, you're in New, you're, you're in New Jersey, which you have a big talent yep. base. So in, yep. and you lose St. Anthony's to score uh, Coach Hurley coach because that is closed. So you kind of lose that you lose that place. But throughout New Jersey, you have basketball players all over the place, up and down the turnpike. You can't get them. You're in a Big Ten, so you're in a bigger conference. You still can't get players. You but you you put like hundred million dollars into your on-campus arena, which is still a which is still a dump. Still can't get players. So it's like at this point, you're in a conference you shouldn't be in, playing teams you shouldn't be anywhere near close to. You're getting all this money because you move conferences. You left the Big East, you went to the Big Ten, and you're putting money into facilities and you still can't do anything it's like well, why bother just just sh- shut it why down bother? yeah just yep. shut it shut it all down i hate to say it i'm not big on shutting teams down like that but i might have to write an article god you, you got me started you got me started now i have to write about them now ah i, I, Go really, for it. I really don't get i really don't want any more hate comments like i got in the first two i gotta really think about this now 
Oh, man. Anyway, Jason, as always, great show. Likewise, brother. Likewise. Enjoy Broner. Hopefully he gets knocked out on Saturday. Can't say that's what I'm looking forward to, but I'm looking forward to some type of fight. So once again, the yeah, box up. We're going it, every other. Yeah. So but we're going every other week for the rest of the summer. So next week there'll be no show. The following week, another topic. We're gonna probably redraft the draft, which I will. I'm, I haven't figured it out yet, Jay. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you probably by the end of the week which draft we're gonna redraft. So we're gonna okay. do that in a couple of weeks. Another movie, Blue Chips, and just kind of keep it going. Hopefully, there's some more news. I feel like every time I think the news is done, I feel like more stuff happens and we have more to talk about. Oh, who knows? I mean, by next week, LeBron might be gone. We never know. Oh. Just got to stay tuned. Th- Listen, LeBron, if LeBron leaves Cleveland in two weeks when we come back, that's a whole two-hour show we can do. I'll, I'll try to track down some ESP. I'll get Brian Windhorse on this show and try to talk to him and see what's going on. <laughs> get Wojo on the horn and see what's going on. So for Jason, I'm Khalil. We will see you in two weeks on the box out. We're going to redraft the draft and talk blue chips Thursday night, two weeks from now. Remember, no show next week, the week after, 8 p.m. Thursday night, WG Radio. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Have a great night. Have a great week. Peace.